Magdalena, and I'm sitting here with my co-host Max from Studio MMO4, and today we have a special guest joining us, and it is Lou, who is also part of Studio MMO4, and I'm very happy to have you here, Lou. Hi, I'm Lou. As Magda said, I'm part of the Studio MMO4 team, but I've also been working on the 2020-30 Summit for the past couple seasons, putting together the program with Max. Yes, and I'm very happy to have you on board, not just obviously in our studio team, but in general. And yeah, I'm also very happy to look into this important topic of intersexual feminist leadership now, and especially in this uh, lively Berlin ecosystem where I think there is really so much, well, power behind these topics. And while these topics are about power relationships also, let's see what we can learn here today. Well, I personally, I don't really know what's actually meant by intersectional feminist leadership, but uh, we will learn it uh, by the panel discussion. And we were so lucky to have these people who are really, really active in their field bring us this insight about what it looks like, not just in a theoretical sense, but in practice. You know, we have Fatima Nyoya, who's a writer for Glamour and Condé Nast Germany, coming back to us for her second season moderating a panel. If you remember in season one of the podcast, she was actually sitting in with the Aesthetica panel and we found her input so valuable that we thought we should have her back again. Yeah, but this time we have her interviewing the extremely cool, I would say, co-founders of the agency UNS, Max Weiland and Cora Hamilton, as well as another really important stakeholder nowadays for the Berlin fashion scene, Seville Uguts and Axel Hahn of Platte Berlin. In addition to discussing intersectional feminist leadership in Berlin's fashion scene, we lucked out when we put this panel together because Uns and Plata actually just also launched a very cool collaboration at Fashion Week called Diverse It, which they will talk about as well in this segment with Fatima. So let's listen to it. Hello and thank you for having us. We're very excited to talk to you today or like you listen to our conversation about intersectional feminist leadership. Um, my name is Fatima and yeah, I'm very excited to be today here with Axel, Seville, Cora and Max and they will later introduce themselves a little bit further. But first of all, I want to go into the topic and so we are all on the same page about what is intersectional feminist leadership in generally. Yeah, so... The term is something very old. Intersectionality was invented by a lawyer, by Kimberly Crenshaw, and she tried to develop a theory about how people are more affected than others when we go into how they are treated and affected by things. So she developed intersectionality. So that's why we are here, because like each of us, also got like very different layers that affects us in today's society. So my layers are I'm a black woman working fashion and there are mostly like white people around me. 
So I would ask you, Max, to start and introduce yourself and tell us about your intersectionality. Yes, thank you so much for the introduction. Yeah, my name is Max. My pronouns are they, he. I am a transmask non-binary model speaker and also a bit educator. And together with Cora, we founded One Talent Agency over two years ago at this point. Yeah, my intersectionalities are I am a white uh, queer person. I'm a trans person. I work in fashion as well, which is, as you just said, a lot of like white people, but also a lot of uh, men and cis people around us. And I have a migration background. My family is from Poland. So that's that on me. Thank you. Great. And uh, my name is Cora. My pronouns are they, them or no pronouns in German, just my name. And I'm the co-founder and creative director of UNS, which is the first exclusively LGBTQI plus talent agency in Germany. And like Max said, we launched just over two years ago and we we're one of the very, very first in the world at this point. I'm a photographer, so I came from this kind of creative standpoint. Max was modeling, so together we were able to bring that together and, and launch the agency two years ago. And I kind of want to give context to my perspective of intersectionality by talking about like how I grew up because I was very privileged to grow up in southeast London which is a super diverse area um, and so intersectionality was something that without knowing that that's what it was I was very aware of from a young age that I was always around people from all over the world all sorts of backgrounds and to me that was what was normal so then I kind of had the opposite of what most people go through especially in Germany um, where I then moved to a more rural part and was like, oh my God, everyone here looks like me. Like, that's not right. <laughs> so I kind of had this really, like, I think it's an honor to like grow up in that way. And I think that if more people did, then we'd be, you know, looking at a, a different space, especially in fashion. Um, and so intersectionality is something that we make sure is, is everything that we do in the agency is, is through a lens and through a perspective of intersectionality and I'm realizing I'm holding this microphone like I'm in a boy band like no. I can't <laughs> one-handed from now on okay, I'll try that anyway over to you Axel yeah hello I'm Axel and uh, my pronouns are they them and I work um, together with Sevier also for Platte as a um, diversity manager and representative I grew up in a small town north of Germany um, with my white family members as I'm mixed black person. And yeah, just growing up there, understanding that I was treated very differently than from my peers who were mainly white um, and then also being non-binary. Yeah, I think I get a lot of different yeah, sides to it. Um, also working in fashion and music. I worked a long time as a DJ as well. Um, just seeing the different areas that people get treated differently, especially in music with men and women. Hello, uh, yeah, my name is Seville Woods and yeah, I'm one of the co-founders and CEO of Platte. And uh, for everybody who doesn't know so far, Platte, um, Platte is um, yeah, a space uh, which is um, working mainly just for Berlin fashion designers. And uh, we are trying to support uh, creatives and designers in their work with our own uh, yeah, studio, uh, store, with events, masterclasses and many, many more things. And I'm caring yeah, for the content there and trying to support Berlin fashion as good as possible. 
So yeah, and my layers in terms of intersectionality is um, yeah, my parents are from Turkey. I'm born here in Germany, so I'm a Turkish German. Yeah, I'm a super single mom, and I have a little daughter who is uh, German Turkish too. So yeah, and of course I'm working in fashion. So, yeah. <laughs> so they were like very amazing examples of how intersectionally can be and how different it can be like for every one of us. Like we are all have different layers, some are similar, some are not, but we all experience yeah, different difficulties yeah, navigating this world. So if we put it very simple, it's like we are always like posting a photo on Instagram using different filters, but we can choose the filters because the filters are there. Some of them are unseen and some of them are seen. So intersectionality is more like trying to get people to acknowledge what our experience is in this world. What's very amazing, all of those people here on stage, they are collaborating together. Um, so that's also one of the things intersectional feminism is doing for us. We try to collaborate, try to raise awareness, try to educate people. So maybe one of you can tell us what are you doing together? Yeah, you, me. Don't be shy. <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, maybe you I'll, start I'll, and I yeah. join. Can huh? Exactly. Okay. I'll start off. Um, yeah. So, I mean, we'd known of Platter since when we started the agency um, as the great space and, and initiative that they are. And we'd got in touch just basically to talk about, can we put some of our models in your next show? And <laughs> Seville here was like, well, we got something bigger and better for you. How about we do a bit more than that? And we do this whole thing. So um, the initial idea is that we've brought five independent Berlin-based designers together with five models. And they're coming together to build a look. And this is to celebrate and also to platform and to start conversations about diversity in fashion. Um, we've also made a film that happened a couple of weeks ago and it will be screened. It's already started being screened in the mm -hmm. shop front, right? Um, yeah. Plata, the shop is in Mitte. Um, we dropped by yesterday and it's all looking really sick. We're really excited. Mm -hmm. And so we've got a big event happening tomorrow evening um, where there'll be a film screening. Um, there'll be some little talks and there'll be a kind of live installation, live modeling situation. Performances, absolutely. We've got some like pole dancers, DJs, yes. situations going on. <laughs> oh, shoot. Too naughty for the corporates. <laughs> yeah. But do you want to fill any gaps I've missed? <laughs> yeah, I think Cora described in a good way what is right now happening. But maybe I should tell a bit more like what we plan for the whole year. So our main idea as a space uh, working in fashion is uh, to talk more about diversity in general and to put more awareness into this topic because since we've been founded as a foundation and as a company like one and a half years ago we recognized quite fastly that we have a really diverse community like um, by natural without searching for them and then we thought like okay but why is it just us who is so diverse And how about other companies, other spaces, uh, how about the whole fashion scene? So we did a bit of researching for this. Uh, we called the government to see, like, is there someone already uh, responsible in uh, terms of diversity? Half a year ago, there was no one. Now there is one. 
which is good. <laughs> <clears throat> and hopefully we are going to uh, meet this person tomorrow as well. And our big goal for uh, this year is to have a whole ongoing uh, plan just working on diversity because uh, we have the theory that fashion, which is um, celebrating itself as really diverse, but as professionals working in fashion, I need to say it's not diverse. It's not diverse enough. So, and for this, um, we start with this fashion week, with this uh, celebration of diversity, with this film, with this showcase, with this get together. But for the whole year, we plan a conference just working on the topic diversity. We will hopefully have a festival celebrating diversity as well and many, many more things. So, yeah, that's why we work that's here together. Very amazing. <laughs> Thank you so much. And I think that's like the first question I want to go into because... Um, it seems like feminism or like intersectional feminist, especially on a professional um, situation, is very different in different communities. And I would agree to say that we all like were raised in kind of yeah multicultural communities, like you said, Cora. So I would like give you the question maybe to you, Axel. Do you think? There are like, what makes it so different for communities to get into this multicultural feminist thing? I think a big difference or a big factor is definitely the background. So where you grew up, how um, you learn to interact with people around you. So um, me growing up in the small town and off of Germany with my white family members, They never taught me about anything regarding racism, homophobia or whatever it may be. So I grew up being very naive and not really knowing a lot about these issues. Um, and then coming to Berlin where I met a lot of people who came from a similar background as Cora. They grew up with people who have other skin tones, different sexualities or genders. They had a whole other meaning to um, all these, these things that need to be discussed. So they grew up with a diversity. So they don't question it anymore. They don't, they don't have an issue with um, people that look different or live different being in your space. Where um, when I talk to people that come from a similar background that I I do they have kind of this blockage within them and I think also kind of the thought of um, it's it's not my privilege to get all this but it's my my, my right to basically mm -hmm. you know like Yeah, I think like the biggest factor is the background. If you've been socialized within a community where, where everyone is open, then you have a whole different way of getting into projects and working and interacting with mm -hmm. people where for when you have a background where everything is very normed, then you think that this is the norm and everything else needs to adapt to it kind of and not the other way around. Yeah. So... Yeah. Max, do you think you have to behave different to get yourself in a certain position like we heard? And how you navigate that? Yeah, I mean, totally. I think like especially when you're in... I mean, as like the four of us, we, we have created or we exist in this bubble that is very accepting and open towards uh, identities and also open towards intersectionality. But I think once you leave that bubble and that happens really fast, it's basically when you step outside of the core of Berlin even, um, it's not there anymore. And I think 
It is always like, especially as, for example, a queer person in my case, it, I feel like I often have to pretend to be someone else just because I know, like, I cannot, like, always fight and I cannot, like, always educate everyone all the time. Sometimes I just want to buy, I just want a doctor's appointment or I just want to, like, <laughs> withdraw money or something like that. So it's like um, code switching and I think, like, everyone yeah, of a, us knows way, yeah. the language, yeah. mm -hmm. like, how you dress, how exactly. you interact. When I'm with my like black friends, I'm like more chill than mm -hmm. I am when I'm in a very white dominated environment because yeah. I feel like I have to behave in some ways or like be professional. So how do you teach your daughter about like being professional, like <laughs> to brand it that way? Oh, yeah. How do I teach my daughter? I mean, um, yeah, some of you know already my daughter. Um, yeah, I teach her to be super, super self-confident, to be honest, because I'm born in Germany and I'm Turkish, but she's really mixed up. So her dad is a German person and I'm a Turkish person. So for me, it was really important that she doesn't have the struggles I had in the past. Um, it took me like, I think, 25 years to be like happy with the situation that everybody just told me, oh, you, you, you are really not a, like a Turkish person. It's crazy how German you are. Mm. I was like, yeah, but I'm born here. I mean, what's the point? Uh, how should I be different? And how do you, uh, what do you expect of yeah. a person who is Turkish and born here? So uh, this took me like 25 years and I was okay somehow with this situation as well mm -hmm. to be like super, super accepted as I am. And I studied somewhere else and I studied law. This is uh, something else as well, which comes on top. So especially in this case, uh, studying something uh, yeah, super serious, it was even more strange to be uh, the only Turkish person there who uh, was always welcome, was like, it's crazy, you're Turkish. And nowadays I'm trying to celebrate this a bit more because uh, Berlin is really broad and really open. And I met here many, many people who are exactly like me. These are just human persons, yeah, who have like... Um, different uh, nationalities met up or grown up with uh, different uh, traditions. So, yeah, I, I'm telling Leia always, um, yeah, her name is Leia, uh, that uh, she's Orient and Occident. So she's amazing. She's connecting everything. And, yeah, that's her yeah, main point in being a mixed-up child. Yeah. <laughs> So, Cora, you came from another side. Like, we heard about being a mom of a mixed child in a very white environment. But you were, like, a white child in a very mixed environment. So, how do you feel, thinking back, it shaped you the way you are now? How you treat other people or maybe how you see their, their different layers? I mean, as I said, as a kid, like, it was just always my norm. Like, completely... And I think this is something we think a lot about in our work as the agency is like so many perspectives are based on like what is the default, what is the norm? And 
I think the first thing people need to do is realize that white does not equal normal, cis does not equal normal, you know, all of these things get these out the window and then we can get on with the real conversations, you know. Mm. Um, and yeah, like I said, it was just an honor to be able to grow up with without, I don't know, being like poisoned by these thoughts of like, you shouldn't be friends with them because they're this and, and this shouldn't happen because you're from different families. Like, and I think that's just like set the foundation of the way that I see the world is looking straight for the humanity in someone else rather than the identity labels you know mm. because and and I think that's where all of my attitude towards life comes from is having grown up in this environment where everyone is important everyone is special everyone deserves respect everyone deserves to thrive everyone deserves support and to succeed and that's exactly what we're trying to provide with every part of our work. I think you mentioned a lot of principles that are also very important if you talk about leadership. So I would ask you, what are your demands to a good leader? Anyone pick out the question? I, I kind of, I had some thoughts about this uh, last night, actually. I had a bit of a sleepless night for different reasons. And I started just thinking about it. And I'm uh, originally also from the art industry. And there was this... this um, gallery owner and I, I totally remember that they had to like put um, adverts out that they're looking for gallery assistants every two or three months and eventually I first thought I'm gonna apply I'm a student I kind of need like the experience but after I've seen this like show up several times being filled and coming back up I was like something something <laughs> doesn't feel right here and eventually I met someone who was working or used to work for this person and um, and she basically told me that this uh, the owner of the gallery he has the goal to come into work and make one assistant cry every time so he was oh. like literally bullying these people into quitting and into crying every day and I, I have had similar experiences like in fashion and in <laughs> yeah, this is a different field same story yeah yesterday but I think I noticed that there is a, like a lot of leadership or the idea of leadership is surrounded around like fear and around like humiliation. So the idea of like you have to break someone and then you can like do with them what they what you want, basically. But I personally think that this is like such a wrong idea of it, to be honest. I feel like leadership should be based on like the person should be trusting you and therefore you should be like collaborating and working together and you should be like uh, encouraging them to like thrive and to bring in their own ideas and I've, I think though this is like the really hard way because it is easy to like break someone to humiliate someone especially when you're like quite up on the intersectional pile and the person is quite down for like uh, further down than you are for whatever reason It's easy to break them. It's easy to follow this route. But it's difficult to work with people to make them uh, like that they trust you because trust can be like lost and you can like you can fuck up and this person can be like, I don't want to do anything with you anymore. And you have to like live with it and you have to evolve from it. So I think like, sorry, coming to a point with this, I think like for me, the future of leadership is you have to like build a trusting relationship and you have to prove it every single day that you're worthy, the trust, that these people give to you and only like that we can like succeed and evolve in my opinion yeah if it's fine I would like to add something yeah like I'm working with uh, some of my crew members since uh, 10 years yeah so especially for me leadership is not like a status you have or not yeah you are not a leader born or something like that it's a process 
Yeah? And that's, I think, the main point. A good leader is a person who is able to learn every day new things. Yeah? To, to accept that a leader is not perfect as well. Yeah? That you need to adopt yourself as well yeah? to the crew you have, to the people. You um, try to give them this trusting feeling. You need to know that you will, there will be one day the day you are starting to learn from your crew. And this started for me four years ago because I'm not joining everything nowadays any longer. So I need um, people surrounding me like Axel who, yeah, teach me more, teach me faster, teach me better. So I think especially a good leader is accepting the point that leadership is never stopping. You need to grow every day with it. I think there's also like very similarity to the sustainability topic and I think that's why we are here. It's also about like growing, nurturing, like support, good things, support each other and also about collaboration. So how can we like, change the idea of leadership? Because like leadership or someone who leads something is always pictured as like to speak cliche a man he's strong he can provide but what about like vulnerability what about like being soft i mean i think at best a leader is an innovator and at worst they're a dictator basically you know like you're saying about fear you know so i think leadership should be about innovation and thinking of the future and and working with your team whoever that may be towards a future that is better for everyone towards a space that is for everyone um and where that goes wrong is exactly this instilling fear and and forcing control over people because that's absolutely not what it's about um and i think we need more people who are stepping into leadership roles with the intention of uh, maintaining compassion and exactly about learning, always, always learning, because until the day you die, you will be learning. And even then, you're still not there. So just accept that there's always, always more. And if that intention is always there, then your leadership will always be hitting at least closer to the mark. I just want to add that I think also another good way of like bringing that into the world is just working the way you work. I think we have experienced that quite a lot that in the fashion industry when we like when we work when we work on a project when we work on a booking we often get the feedback of people saying like you're so like human you treat us like we're humans yeah. <laughs> and um, and this is such a like interesting interesting way of like doing this and I thought yeah I care and that is like That is the difference. But I think uh, I've noticed that a lot of people got already, let's say, inspired is maybe too much, but at least like we planted an, an idea in their head that it doesn't have to be like that. So I think if you want to change, then you have to be the change. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, also to adding a little bit to what Cora said as well, you have to put people in roles within a company where they can actually change something and actually have something to say as well. Like when we speak about diversity and inclusivity, it's not enough for companies to be like, hey, we have three brown <laughs> models, one Asian model, there's one with like two pounds too much you know so hey we are diverse um give us jobs you know it's not it doesn't work like that because then nothing will will change within the company and nobody will rise to the top to be a leader you know that is from a different background than all these 
white cis men and women that are um, leaders now and yeah listen to each other like really listen to each other not talk about these marginalized groups but talk with them is a very big key to that I think because a lot of companies or um, also advertisement and changing street names and all of that it's we didn't ask for that you know we want actual change and not just uh, being like the poster child for your company now you know yeah Yeah. so there's always like the answer if you like speak up you both all of you were talking about speaking up but i think it's very hard to speak up for yourself if you like the only person yeah. representing one or maybe more marginalized groups so who is going to listen who's going to understand because if there's someone in front of you who don't like understand or gets your intersectional entanglements mm-hmm. how can you explain to them how it feels to just like try to explain how you live, like your experience, your like barrack systems. So how can we maybe yeah, get leaders or like per people in leadership roles to understand the struggles more of people like just trying to speak up or staying silent? Um, I mean, I think a good example for that is now at Platte that Civil decided to have um, me as a diversity management in, in place. And I think it should be mandatory for every big company to have people um, there who have an eye out for the diversity within the company and also not just have an eye on, okay, these are the models, they are diverse, but also, like I said, have workshops within the company where you teach every one of the employees and the leaders how um, people from different backgrounds feel, what may, how you can show them that you're respecting them. I think that's the key part. I don't think that most of us demand that you get everything right, right from the start, you know, but we have to know that you respect us enough to do the work to get there. And so I think it's very important for um, companies to have a mandatory diversity manager in place who um, helps leaders helping other people, you know, yeah. And how are you like working with people if like they want to book model or a talent from you, but you feel like maybe their values didn't match your values because they <laughs> did not really understand what your message is? I think it always depends to which degree it is. I mean, we had definitely people where we had, it's like a gut feeling. I can't really describe it, but um, I mean, we have obviously these like, let's say signs when someone is, for example, like using certain words. So it's just like, I mean, we ask questions, you know, we ask, for example, like the other day we had a photographer asking for a trans model on set and uh, they wanted to shoot this model without clothes or nude. Um, And the guy was a white cis man and we just were like, can you explain a little bit more? Like, what is the the vibe? First of all, why do you want to do this? Why does it have to be a trans person? And the, the person was just like not answering anything. And eventually um, I said that this is not for us. We decide we don't want to put anyone for it because we don't see that there's any awareness of how it is to work with trans people 
especially in a super vulnerable position, which is like nudity. And then I get yelled at by this person for being a fanatic. <laughs> so that happens. Um, but there's, oh, amongst other things. But there is also this other side where, as uh, Axel, you said it earlier, you know, it's not about knowing everything from the beginning, but it's about just like you can ask questions and then this person is like, maybe I don't know. And then we can explain. And if they're open to listen and if they're open to learn, I think a lot of what we do is edu like 80% of model bookings is educational work, <laughs> explaining what pronouns are, communicating models' needs, let's say, in a certain way. It's not only about uh, being trans or cis, it's also about black models and hair, for example. It's always a critical topic. So there's just like a lot to think about and to communicate. And when people are open to learn, they usually also want to come back because most people are not horrible. They actually want to learn. And that's something to keep in mind, I think. So I think it's very important what you said also in regards to nowadays everyone is like super woke and everyone is like a feminist. So <laughs> it's hard to um, yeah, get in contact with people um, if everything you say you said you get yelled at because you try to explain something just in a friendly way. But people feel offended and they say, but I'm woke. <laughs> I have a black friend. I'm a feminist. I've heard this buzzword. But like, how can we change the meaning of feminism? Or how can we like try to... like? I think a lot of people, they don't know what intersectionality is and what intersectional feminism is. And that at the end of the day, someone who's a feminist is not... like Maybe he's a feminist, but he's an intersectional feminist. Yeah. That's a very big difference. And at the end of the day, what we need in the future are people who think on the different layers, who can understand or at least try to uh, yeah, create ways that like, everyone can feel safe in a work environment. What do you think about that? How can we like, grow better? How can we support each other better? I think like, from my point of view, I'm... Um especially working a lot in communications. So I think every topic which is somehow new for a big community needs always first awareness, you know? Like Max said already, that both need to explain a lot and then mm -hmm. people are listening to this as well. So I think the first step is to um, close this uh, lack of information yeah? because I think nobody knows right now what is intersectionality. Yeah? This would be for me uh, the first step, first to explain, then getting more awareness on this topic. I think like, especially in terms of social media, there's a lot happening. There are a lot of intersectional um, leaders, like, I don't know, like um, Leila Piedesh, for example, yeah, who was uh, the leader the of uh, Lala Berlin. Yeah? Persons like her, they started to tell more about their private life as well to show up that this is intersectionality and I think if we create more awareness with some um, already existing leaders you know who, who are already in this role since 30 years then I think the interest will grow the lack of information will get smaller and maybe one day you too will not need to explain it to everybody <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I mean the only thing I want to add to that is that like often we come across people being like, well, that's just how it's done, you know. Mm -hmm. Like we'll we'll encounter an issue or something that causes some friction within a working relationship dynamic, and we'll be told, well, that's how it's done. I've worked in this job for 30 years, and that's how we do it. 
Um, and us as two people who are fresh to this, and also like we didn't know about running an agency before we started running an agency. So, you know, we came into this with no blueprint, which I think, like, trust me, it's like the blood, sweat and tears have have been there and still are to this day and always will be <laughs> but to come into something without a blueprint we've got to write our own rule book with our own morals ethics standards um, and I think a lot of these people that are saying well that's just how we do it in fashion that's just how it's done um, I think they could learn a lot from that from throwing the rule book out and thinking how do I how do I make sure that the people involved in this project are coming first how do I make sure that everyone is seen and respected everyone is happy and everyone is enjoying themselves and doing the best work that they can because if they're not seen and respected the walls go up and you can't fully you know like as a model or an actor you can't fully do your job if your walls are up and so it's about creating those spaces whether that's as a leader or just wherever you are whoever you are whatever you do making sure that you're part of making yourself a safe person for other people but also making a safer space yeah that's amazing it's very amazing can i add something first and then you no so i would like i'm asking myself like you founded something you founded something as well and you are in a very new position mm -hmm. like would you describe yourselves as leaders or maybe do we need another term to describe the visionary or maybe innovative things you're doing? <laughs> I, think, I think the reason we're all sitting here like, uh, is because, I mean, even earlier you used an example of a leader and you said he, right? Like, we're, you know, uh, a woman and three non-binary people. Yeah. And we've never seen ourselves, like, displayed in that way, you know? Like, yeah. we always say to our models, like, you have to see it to be it. You have to see the representation to realize, I could do that. Or I could do that better, even. You know? And so, I don't know. Can we call ourselves leaders? Because we don't know what a leader exactly looks like. Yeah. Is that it? Um, but, like, I mean, especially Seville, you're, you're literally, in the literal sense, like, leading an initiative, a team. Like, absolutely. I'm just thinking with us because we don't have any, like, staff or anything. It is literally just us running everything. But we're leading a, a revolution, we like to look at it. Not leading, but, you know. So it's more like team sport, off. collaboration. Yeah. And being, like in an, I don't know, family, like everyone like does their part. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. I think that for me to, to see myself as some sort of leader, I think um, it's hard because I always see myself as just part of a group of sorts where it doesn't I don't want to say that a leader isn't part of a group either but it's like I don't see myself as the head but more also the body of it you know um, so because like Cora also said like I except now Seville not really seeing someone that maybe looks like me um, represented as as a leader I always just see me within this field of of people working somewhere you know yeah So maybe we should, like, last question to you guys. <laughs> I think it's in the direction. I think maybe something you can add now. Um, what is something you wish for being in this intersectionality of yourselves for a leader or leadership, the definition of leadership in the future? Like, from my point of view, the definition so far of a leader is always a single person who's alone you know mm -hmm. um, 
And if you think about the situation, what a leader wants to do, a leader wants to motivate, wants to change, wants to move. And I would always say like one person alone sitting on the top of something is always, it's always tougher to move something alone than in a whole group. So I would say like this definition of a leader being alone is totally wrong anyways. And I think it was right from your side to say like it's more like a family yeah and I see since 10 years my crew as a family so and we grow together and I don't think that I'm alone there and so I think that's a bit sectional leadership is more like being a body instead yeah. of a head <laughs> yeah absolutely I think that's a really good like analogy to sum it up yeah I think in terms of what we wish for, I mean, I just wish so desperately for people to be open to things that they don't know um, with the intention of, again, this thing of making yourself a safe person for marginalized people to be around um, and also contributing to making a safer space, not making a space that is more hostile. Because I think fashion has a huge problem with um, both gatekeeping because because of how shitty a lot of the practices are, um, but also because of a lot of egos. And so I think if we can kind of like pop the balloon on the, these issues of, yeah, egos and gatekeeping, um, then exactly we can open up to really like transform fashion into what it should be. I think that sounds like mm -hmm. a very, very amazing mm -hmm. vision for our future. So we are now into the question time. <laughs> So, yeah, there's a question. <laughs> Pink beanie, you're up. I think, yeah, there's the mic. <laughs> Thank you so much. This is a, a topic that should be constantly being spoken. Um, and I think uh, I can think of hundreds of corporations that could use a direct workshop on, <laughs> on what you just discussed right here. Very important. And I, I think let's break. You, you mentioned there's like a bubble maybe when you are here in Berlin. But I think a lot of people live in, in their own privileged bubble. No. And intersectionality has a lot of challenges. And I think this is a good platform for kind of raising awareness because we need to continue raising awareness. Um, there's a lot of challenges that the community has, has had to go over decades. And we continue to go through those challenges. So let's leave people with um, a good summary in terms of if, if you actually look at the challenges that your friends, your family, the community has had to go around intersectionality. Think of those challenges and then tell people that is not yet aware and could learn from it. How can we do better? How can people in general do better and, and, and learn more around this so that at the end of the day, you don't have to pretend to be someone else or have to, to be someone different, you know, because that's at the end of the day, a huge challenge. Already life can be a huge challenge and you have to go through double, triple challenges. But I want to start with um, this question of, yeah, what can we do? Like, how can we... These are all really big topics that we've been talking about. How can we start to tackle this? And the answer, I think, is, like, start with your day-to-day -day life. Like, what are you doing to make... <laughs> Hi, Kiki. <laughs> what are you doing? Question for you. <laughs> um, what are you doing in your day-to-day -day life to, to improve your knowledge 
about what people go through. I think um, like there's so much content on Instagram, TikTok. There's people that are are talking about so every topic you can think of, and and you just have to seek this information. You know, instead of like relying on your friends who have marginalized identities yeah. to explain their basic experience to you, find someone on Instagram so you can you know get the information from them rather than cost someone emotional labor yeah um for example something i do in my day-to-day life is um i read a lot and i read i make sure that every novel i read is from a country that i haven't read about or i don't know the history of and things like this and therefore i just had something last week i'm reading a book based in korea and then i met a friend who'd just been to korea and i was like oh i know this thing that you're talking about because i read it in a book and she didn't need to explain something basic to me so you know just things like that to show you're doing the work I also think that it's very much about like using your privilege. I mean, we all have privilege, even like we have privilege, even though we're marginalized in other ways. And there's always a way in which you can use your privilege. And I think it it comes especially to um, being heard and being seen. So, for example, like me as like a white person might have with other white people a privilege um, to be heard about like, When I, when I tell them that something was racist and why it was racist, which, by the way, I also want to mention that that was obviously also taught to me by um, people of color and black people as well. But, like, I might have the possibility to explain this to them or, or like, connect with them and talk to them about it whilst they wouldn't maybe listen to a black person or they would listen to a black person but make it, like, really, like, a traumatic experience for them. So I think it is always about also identifying who we are and in which ways can we work to make it better for others. Because I know maybe, like, racism doesn't affect me in the sense, but I'm still part of this world. I'm still, like, you know, and therefore I have a responsibility to help as much as I can. And I think also don't question things. If someone yeah, yeah. says something to you and you don't understand it, don't question them. Don't think they are not right or don't like diminish their experience of the moment. Because I think it's the worst if you're in front of a person who got like more privileges in terms of intersectionality and then they are question you, but they, they didn't, they're not living your life. They don't understand and try to explain what you're going through to them. It's like a very traumatic experience where you go out very exhausted thinking, okay, I can do nothing because whatever I'm saying, they won't understand. So I think maybe be more patient with people. And when you don't understand, like try to educate yourself afterwards and then maybe check in on them and ask or like say, hey, I didn't get it at the moment, but now I understand. Maybe how can we figure something out together to make it better for you for the next time? Also very simply let go of your ego. I guess because a lot of these things get blocked because of your ego like not everything is about you if I talk about racism or homophobia or whatever it's not about you necessarily I'm just trying to educate people mm. and um, people tend to get very defensive when you speak about those topics because mm. they see themselves as like yeah but I'm woke you know like I <laughs> why are you telling me this you know and I'm like yeah because Because, you know, you're part of the problem. And, yeah, so let go of ego, yeah. Is there another question? Thank you so much. <laughs> Welcome. Well, we explained everything well, when, perfectly, I guess. Yeah, when there's not another question, I would say thank you very much for your attention. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for your presence here today. Thank, thank you for educating you. us. <laughs> And, yeah. 
we will leave the stage and hopefully we all can be more intersectional in the future, try to learn from each other, try to understand the different layers and filters we are yeah, having in life or having not. Thank you very much. This was a very insightful discussion. I personally learned a lot as well. And I also remember being on this opening event uh, from Platte Diverset, and it was really nice. And it was so packed with people. That's right. And it was so funny because we had just finished the second day of the 2020-30 summit together. And we all went to this event and we didn't realize that we were going to the same project launch yeah, and that's then true. We, we met in just this sea of bodies it got the most incredible turnout at plata at their store in mitte isn't it nice to see like that this topic is so hot here and everybody is interested everybody is trying to get into it understand it and see where it goes no it was really inspiring and also we needed to go down to the cellar to see the showcase and Uh, like the performance and I thought it was so nice to see that the designers were actually working together with the models and they were designing the clothes towards like the models personalities and shapes bodies and identities and that was really nice because usually as a designer you design something a collection a clothing and then you like choose from a various selection of people who is going to wear your your clothing as a model and this was like the other way around this was a true collaboration and this is something we have been talking about all in the last episodes like how a true collaboration works and this was a so nice example of it and it's so powerful to see it done by the next generation of people in berlin's fashion scene again like this is the place where this really seems to be happening so much there's such a rich climate for these collaborations to pop up i mean i would also call like the collaboration between Forn, the Berlin Fashion Hub, and Platte, a true collaboration, even if it hasn't come into like a physical outcome yet. Thank you, Lou, for joining us today. That was super nice. It's been so fun hanging out in the studio with both of you. Also, just a quick shout out to our listeners who are on LinkedIn. You can find 2020 the Berlin Fashion Summit, where we actually already have up our event for edition number six. It's right around the corner, so you can also go to our website, 202030summit.com, to get your ticket now. And if you're on LinkedIn, you can find us at 202030, the Berlin Fashion Summit. And don't forget to look into our show notes. We have some information put in on intersectional feminist leadership, if you want to learn more. Because it's pretty complicated, but it's super informative. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs> Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Stay tuned.